Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. I appreciate the good singing this morning. There's a powerful reminder in that little hymn about the nature of our faith that I think many people maybe lose sight of many times, and that is the aspect of it, the part of it that says there's no turning back. And when you choose to follow Christ, I was reading in Mark this week, uh, myself, my personal reading time and read where Jesus gave that invitation to Matthew and said, follow me. And, um, you know, that's Matthew and all the disciples and apostles, they did not always have an easy journey. He was reading, of course, this would have been a different uh, context and that Christ had not come yet, but we've been studying on Wednesday nights in the Psalms, and we see many individuals who follow God, trust God, seek to live by His ways and His will, who struggled and faced adversity. And following Christ does not mean that your life will always be easy. Following Christ does not mean that everything you ever pray for will happen exactly the way you pray for it. But following Christ, meaning when we truly follow Christ, means that in spite of all that, we're going to follow Him because we know He's our Lord, He's our Savior, He is God, and he is our deliverer, and uh, that's a lot of people look to follow Christ until things begin to deviate from what they want and what they like, and then, then they're not so interested in Christ anymore, but that's not a true biblical faith. True biblical faith is understanding that he's Christ, whether things are going in my life the way I want them to or whether they're not. He's still my redeemer, and he's still my savior, and uh, may we all pray, because we as in America, and in this age in which we live, we, I mean, in this culture in which we live, when I was saved, I didn't face a lot of adversity. In fact, everybody around me was congratulating me, telling me it's the best thing that's ever going to happen to me. Not everybody knows Christianity like that. For some people, different ages, different cultures, and as time goes on, it may not be as encouraging, or you may not be as encouraged to follow Christ, but we must still follow Him, because it does not change who He is, and it does not change what He expects out of our lives that we follow Him through the good and through what we might think of as bad or uncomfortable times. But I am thankful for the songs this morning, thankful for those reminders, and do pray for God's grace that we'd be faithful, just like Peter, just like Paul, who knew trouble, knew adversity, but they never did, they never did turn back. And I pray that God would help us not to turn back as well. If you have the Bible this morning, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter number 9. And I'm sure... You'll probably know where I'm going, or if not, as soon as we read the verses, you will. If you cannot think of the specific uh, chapter and verse of the Scriptures we're reading, I'm confident as soon as we read them, you will, uh, they will register with you. And uh, I pray this morning that God would give us a, uh, a freshness as we look at a very uh, prominent passage of Scripture in this, this season of time, and uh, God would use it this morning to edify us in our faith. If you will, stand with me this morning as you find your place. Isaiah chapter number, chapter number 9, and we'll begin reading verse number 6, and just want to read verse 6 and then verse 7, where the Bible says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts 
We'll perform this. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the, the songs we've heard this morning. Thank you for the truth contained within them. God, I do pray, as we've mentioned, that you would help us all to be faithful. God, no matter what comes in our life, Lord, I pray that we would have a faith that would be uh, embrace you and, and adore you, God. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd use your word this morning to help us, to edify us, God. Uh, Lord, help us to get a fresh understanding of how precious this little child that we celebrate named Jesus, that as we celebrate his birth, God, help us to have a fresh understanding of how precious and how powerful and how miraculous and how wonderful it is that uh, he came to this earth and we get to celebrate his birth and what that means for us. God, all the other things that seek to inundate our minds during this time, God, I pray that you would remove those things. Lord, help us to hear the voice of God this morning. Help your word to go forth with authority and with power. And God, help us to submit ourselves to it, God, and humbly accept your word as truth. And God, I pray that you would use it to produce fruit in our lives. God, we love you today. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for the freedom to gather. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. Excitement is a natural overflow of this time of year. Kids are excited about opening presents. They, I'm sure parents, you probably get annoyed sometimes with the excitement of your kids. They're probably asking you for this and asking you for that. And, and I'm sure sometimes that can get overwhelming, but you can see the excitement in the eyes of children. If you work in the school system, and I can somewhat relate from being there, time right now is just chaotic because kids know that at least, if nothing else, school's coming to an end for a little while, and so the excitement is just all around you. Parents are probably, many times, at least probably new parents are excited about getting to spend their, maybe this Christmas, the first Christmas with their child, or, or getting to see the excitement on their kid's face, even through all the, uh, the uh, aggravation maybe their kids can cause at times, but really at the end of the day, they're excited to see their kids and the excitement of them opening presents or I mean, for my situation, I'm excited about my first Christmas as a husband and in my own home. I mean, it's an exciting, it's an exciting time of year. Through our worship today, through our study of the Word of the Lord, I want to, to spiritually stir our hearts and spiritually bring excitement for the incredible event that we will celebrate next Sunday, that we, the day we recognize as the birth of Jesus. It's an event with more meaning than we can fully wrap our mind around about what all, what all it means. And the way that he came and what his life would mean. The birth of Jesus, if you've read, I have a, a formation of this out on our sign. It's, but the birth of Jesus is the testimony that God himself came to rescue you and I. It's also a testimony this morning to the faithfulness of God because he had promised, God promised that he would send a rescuer, a deliverer, a savior. For example, we saw in one instance last Sunday in Genesis chapter number 3 and verse number 15, and I tried to bring this out of the passage of Scripture, but to mention it again, the verse says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. So again, he's speaking about the seed of the woman, between the seed of the woman and who he's speaking to at this moment was the serpent. He says, It shall bruise thy head. The seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And as the Old Testament unfolds and prophecies continue to be given, and then as the New Testament comes, we understand that in that statement, God was giving, uh, God was giving an insight that He was going to send somebody, that one day the woman would have a child who would, who would bruise the head of the serpent who, had, of course, the heart was Satan. And now we fast forward. That was the, that's the beginning. That's the, uh, the terminologist that 
Many scholars use the proto-evangelium, meaning the first gospel. That's the first sign that God was going to send a deliverer in Genesis 3.15. Well, then if you fast forward here to Isaiah chapter number 9, and, and don't get me wrong, there's much more than two prophecies concerning Christ, but we're highlighting one this morning. But here in Isaiah chapter number 9, we see another prophecy given, another another time where God promised that he was going to send somebody, that there was going to come somebody into this earth that was going to be a savior, that was going to be a deliverer. And in this prophecy, this particular prophecy, there's a lot more clarifying details given as to who this person would be, what we could expect when this person comes, and what this person would do. And as always, it helps to know the context. If you just read these two verses... You'll lose a lot of the meaning. You'll lose a lot of the sense about them if you don't take into mind the context. And prophet Isaiah was sent to the nation of Israel to... Uh, he was a prophet, of course, and he was sent to warn Israel of their rebellion towards God. Though similar to many prophets, that was his purpose. He was sent to tell them about an awful judgment that was coming because of their sin. The Assyrians were coming. And the Assyrians were going to conquer them. And they were going to be... Many would be killed. Many would be taken hostage. You see a little bit of that in verse number 12 of this same chapter where it says, The Syrians before and the Philistines behind, and they shall devour Israel with open mouth. And the Bible says, For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Because of Israel's unfaithfulness and because of their rebellion, judgment was coming. And unfaithfulness and sin and trespass against God will always bring judgment. And for the nation of Israel, what that meant is... They were going to be devoured. Many would be killed. Their nation would be overtaken. Where many would be taken as refuges into another land. And you see that the unjustness, the wickedness that took place and that was taking place in the nation of Israel through many verses within this very this singular chapter, which you'll find all throughout Isaiah and many of the other prophets if you read. But if you look in verse number 12, the Bible says or rather, verse number 13, For the people turneth not unto him that smiteth them, neither do, neither do they seek the Lord of hosts. We see in that the evil, the wickedness that had become part of the nation of Israel. They, God was smiting them, but, and, and, and the aim of that was to turn them back to him in repentance so that they would repent, so that they would recognize the evil of their hearts and come back to God for mercy. But it didn't worked that way. They didn't turn back to Him. They did not seek the Lord of hosts. They continued in their, their sin. They continued in their rebellion. In verse number 16, it says, the leaders of this people caused them to err. So even their leaders, their spiritual leaders, the men that should have been in place helping guide them back to, to God, help leading them back in a path of righteousness, even they were of no use and were no good. They, even they led the people into destruction. And then verse number 17, So the Lord has no joy in their young men, neither shall have mercy on the, their fatherless and widows. And listen, for every one of them are a hypocrite and an evildoer, and every mouth speaketh folly. So you see this phrase again, For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Israel was living in a very wicked time. They had no desire for God. They're, they're hypocrites. They're evildoers. They had no desire to come back to God, no remorse for their sin. And because of that, judgment's coming. But in the midst of that, in the, in the midst of that promise that judgment's coming, we see this promise. 
The verses that we read, Isaiah chapter number 9 and verse 6 and 7, where yes, God's sending judgment. And because of all that was taking place in Israel, God's anger was not turned away, but His hand was stretched out still. While that's very true in the midst of that, just like our God always does, He provides a blast of hope in the midst of that prophecy of destruction. It says, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Now again, think about context. If you're hearing that you're going to be destroyed, that you're going to be devoured, as we saw in verse number 12, then this prophecy becomes that much more precious to you and that much more valuable to you because it says the government will be upon his shoulder. You'll no longer be under the Assyrians. You'll no longer be under the control of somebody else. But I'm going to send you a leader. And he's not going to be a, a demanding leader. He's not going to be an oppressive leader. He's going to be wonderful. He's going to be a counselor. He's going to be the mighty God. He's going to be the everlasting Father. Again, you're about to be overtaken by an enemy army, and you hear this person that God's going to send is going to be the Prince of Peace of the increase of His government. Again, if you put yourself in their shoes, think about how much that's going to mean to you. The increase of His government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, again to Israelites, that's going to be a precious promise. God had promised David that his seed would rule on the throne forever, and God's saying, I will fulfill my word. I will fulfill that promise. And I'm going to send you one. I'm going to send you somebody one day that will rule on the throne of David upon his kingdom, order it, and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. And he gives this assurance. The zeal of the Lord of the host will perform this. Just like Israel, in the midst of this heaviness that was coming, and you read in Old Testament, you see some of the insight about how destructive the times were that, was, that were coming. But in the midst of that, they had this promise that would bring them joy, that would bring them hope. And so I come before you this morning to tell you the same thing, that the world can still rejoice at the promise given here in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. The same way that we're just naturally stirred and excitement about this time of the year, well, these verses can spiritually stir our excitement regarding this season and what we're celebrating. But knowing also the insight that God gives us as to what the Messiah would be, this person that He promised would come, when you hear the term Messiah, that's who's that's referring to, that one that God promised would come. And the more we know about Him through the Old Testament, the more we can look at Jesus and be certain that He is our Savior. He's the one that God sent. Because He fits the promises, the picture that God painted of one that would come. And this is important because remember the Pharisees, the whole reason they wanted Christ crucified is because Jesus declared that he was the promised one, but the Jews thought he was guilty of blasphemy because they thought there's no way you're this person. And a lot of their confusion was based on these verses, and we'll look at that a little bit this morning about what I mean. Because they were looking for a governmental leader. They was looking for him. You remember they would, the disciples would talk about when he set up his kingdom. They're looking for this person who's going to set up an earthly rule. So it's important that we understand these prophecies and understand how they're fulfilled in Christ and how some of these things have yet to be fulfilled. These are some things that we're still looking to and clinging to. As we look at these verses this morning, we can bring the question to our day and say, why can the world rejoice so much in the birth of Jesus? You see a lot of the answers to that question here in these verses. So, for one, we see... Because the Messiah would be birthed into the world. He says, unto us a child is born. These opening two statements of 
verse number six, I, for me, give me a lot of, provide a lot of meaning to the birth of Christ. It's more than just a good story that makes our hearts feel warm when we read about the birth of Jesus and all the details of it. In other words, why didn't Christ just descend down from heaven as an adult? Why did he come as a baby? Why is it important that he was born of a virgin? Why didn't he just, why didn't God just have him appear on the earth one day? Well, that goes to this prophecy because God said that this child would be born. This child would come to the earth in that way. If the Messiah had come, if Jesus had come and said, I descended from heaven, I'm the Messiah, there would be a conflict there. Because that's not what God said God promised. God promised this Messiah, the Savior that would come, would be, would be born. So it's not just a sweet little story that warms our heart about of a, a virgin who conceives and then she has an argument with her husband and then God intervenes. All that stuff, all that, I say stuff, and that's a terrible word, all those details of the story of Christ are important. Because that assures us He is our Redeemer. He is our, he is our Savior. He's the one that we're to look to. But the picture is, that's given is not just a son that would be born. I was a son that was born, right? Every male here was a son that was born. But this would be a son that would be given. I've heard a song before, and it's this, I believe it's the chorus or the, the title of the song, but within that song, there's words that say this, on our Savior's birthday, we got the gift. How true that is. We know, of course, in light of John 3, 16, that it was God's only begotten Son. Said The verse says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This is not a Son that the world deserved. This is not a son that the world had bought or purchased or they, a son that the world was worthy of. But this was a son that God had and would give. And in that you see the love of God at work in this precious little baby. Literally, it's, it's fair to say that God came to, to rescue us. God sent His Son into this earth, left all the, the wonders of heaven, the glories of heaven, and took on flesh it came to this earth as a gift from the Father. As we look at, or in our mind visually look at the little babe Jesus, we see God has given us redemption. God has given us a Savior. God sent this Son. God gave this Son to sinful and rebellious creatures to save us and to fulfill His promise. So in this little baby, you don't just see a baby. You don't just see a a good story, but you see the faithfulness of God. Where God promised from Genesis 3.15, here in Isaiah 9, many other prophecies that are given, and as that little baby takes its first breath, you see the faithfulness of God. God promised He was going to send a Redeemer, and here He is. But you also see the love of God that He gave this Son. Because it's who we needed. It's the deliverer that we needed. And here He is. But also we see that this Messiah, this Deliverer, would be a, a ruler. And make no mistake about it, the government will be upon Jesus' shoulders. He will rule and He will be king. As I mentioned, the Pharisees and even the Lord's disciples at times, 
made a crucial error in understanding this prophecy. It was confusion about this reality that caused many to deny Him. When He came to earth the first time, many expected Him to establish an earthly kingdom. And it's based on this prophecy, based on this scripture, that the government be upon His shoulders, the increase of His government and peace, there would be no end. So they and properly understood that this Messiah, this person that God would send, will be a ruler. He will rule and He will bring peace. He will bring justice. He will bring judgment. He will be the perfect ruler. But as other prophecies explain, like Isaiah 53, there was also an aspect of his messiahship, if you will, where he would be the suffering servant. Where we can understand through the total of Scripture that there's two advents of Christ. So you and I can look at this verse this morning. This is something we get to look forward to. but it shows how important it is that we properly understand scriptures like these. Because you can see the greatness of the error it can cause. It caused many to, to, when Jesus walked on the earth, to say, this can't be him. Because he's not ruling. He's not establishing a kingdom. But it certainly was him. But yet he still fits in the picture of this prophecy. Because he will be a ruler. The government will be upon his shoulder. And it's something we get to look forward to. And know for certain that God will fulfill this promise. But you also see in the latter part of the, the ending of verse number 6, some wonderful titles and descriptions given to the Messiah where we know He'll be divine. He will be God. It says this person who's coming, He's going to be wonderful. He's going to be the counselor. He's going to be the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Word, wonderful, just speaks of being so extraordinary that it would be difficult for our mind to wrap around and fully understand, in this particular instance, who this, who this Messiah, who this Savior would be. And certainly that's an accurate description of Him, that He's wonderful. He's so wonderful, He's beyond our means to fully grasp and our means to fully understand the beauty of Him, the wonder of Him, and the amazement of Him. But this one they're expecting would also be a counselor. And knowing that the Messiah has such a title, there's an easy application here. Why don't we live by seeking His guidance and living by it in every aspect of our lives? He's the one that we can only correctly look to for guidance and direction in our life because He is the counselor. You can come to me and I will help you as best I can and, and best I can I will give you counsel that is from the word of the Lord so ultimately it's his counsel. You can go to your parents who will do their best to probably tell you things that work for them and things that they would avoid based on their experiences but ultimately our, our ultimate be all end all counselor must be the Lord Jesus Christ because that's his title. He's the only one that we can fully trust and fully follow with peace knowing that he's leading us in the best way. This person who would come is also be the mighty God, powerful, the everlasting Father. You see in there the, the care that would be in this person, a father who would love and, and nurture and cherish his children. 
He'd also be the Prince of Peace. Of course, Christ brought, brings spiritual peace even now. And one day he'll bring literal peace on the earth. But again, this provides so much meaning to the birth of Christ. Because if Christ would have been born of Mary and Joseph, there would not be a divine nature. He would be a son just like me, or a son just like the males here in this room. But if Christ just descended out of heaven, He would not have been born of a woman. He would not have had this human nature. So in this, through this prophecy, you see all those specific details and how powerful and how necessary they are to the birth of Christ. That yes, He was born of a virgin, but we know from the New Testament that this child was conceived of the Holy Ghost. So in that, you can see how He brings together perfectly humanity and divinity into one being. And that's what makes Him who He is. So it makes Him more than just a child that was born, but He was a son that was given. He's both. He's, he's, he's the essence of both in one being and that's what makes him able to to relate to us that's what makes him able to be our great high priest but also able to make him the great sacrifice for our sins because he's the perfect the perfect one that came and died for us and as we see in verse number seven this messiah would rule over all he wouldn't just have a uh, leadership and one particular area over one certain people, but of the increase of his government, the Bible says, and peace, there shall be no end. He will rule all. Upon the throne of David, again, the promise fulfilled. And God had promised David that there would be a ruler from his lineage that would rule the throne forever. And that's fulfilled in Christ. And upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. When Christ rules, you won't have to worry about him being paid off. You won't have to worry about him being deceptive or unjust. He will be the perfect ruler. He will bring peace. He'll bring righteousness. He says he will establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth. There'll be no corruption in his kingdom, and there'll be no evil allowed. Christ will make all things right. And then as the text concludes, the last sentence of verse number 7 is just is assuring, if you will. I really like, pondered that a lot this week. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. How do we know all this is going to happen? Of course, Christ has come once, but again, let's go back to Isaiah chapter 9, verse number 6 and 7 when it was given. How, how, how would they know that this was going to happen? I mean, they're about to go into captivity, going to be there for many, many years. It'll be many years before the Messiah even came the first time, and then we're still waiting on His earthly rule and reign. So for them, how could they see in all the adversity that lay ahead of them, seeing all the trouble, seeing all the trials, seeing all the, the gloom and doom that laid ahead of them, how could they take this promise and hold to it by faith? How could they go to bed at night and know that this was going to happen one day? That God would, that this promise would come to fruition? 
Well, it's because of what is said at the end of verse number 7. It's because the zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. God said, I'll see to it that this promise is fulfilled. The nation of Israel never had to worry about if God would send a redeemer. They may not know exactly when, exactly. Uh, the, I mean, God gives us a lot of the details, but they may not know the exact nature of, of when he would come, what, what would be going on in the earth, but they can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that he would come. That one day that this person God would send would rule and he would, bring, he would be the prince of peace. And they could go to bed at night confident in that because God said, I, my energy, that's what zeal means, my passion, I'll take care of it that this happens. It's more than just Isaiah saying, this will happen. But God gives his approval and his authority through Isaiah and says, I'll take care of it. So while we can look back and we rejoice over the fact that Christ has come the first time. You and I can look forward to the future. And you know, in a lot of ways, we live in a world that is dim. It don't look like at this moment we're going to go into captivity soon. But the nature of our faith, the nature of the direction of our world going in a direction away from God in a way that seems to be moving away from the truth of Scripture, and all this can be, can be demoralizing, and all this can make us think, well, one day will all this happen? Well, how can we know that, yes, one day He will reign, and one day... He will bring justice and judgment. How can we know? It's because God said, my zeal, my energy, my passion will perform this. Don't have to worry about this person or that person, this denomination or that denomination. I will take care of it, that this promise is fulfilled. So just like for the nation of Israel, when this promise was given, you and I today can say that the future looks bright when we trust God, regarding it and looking at it through the eye of faith, through the eye of through the eye of sight without faith, the future looks kind of scary. Gas prices going up. Maybe they're coming down some now. Groceries are expensive. People can't get along. I mean, you look at life in the future without faith, and it looks dim. It looks dark. It looks scary. I mean, people oftentimes say, man, I, I can't imagine what my kids will have to deal with when they grow up. Even I've thought about it. What will... My kids experience when they are brought up. What will the future look like for me as a pastor in the direction that the world is going? But that's looking at things through the eyes of sight. But when I look at things through the eyes of faith, I have this promise. That the government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. If you look at the future through the eyes of faith, you see Christ ruling and reigning in a kingdom of perfection and peace, judgment and justice, where he has no rivals. Of course, he has no rivals now, but at the very literal presence that he will have no rivals. He will sit on the throne forever and ever. So Christmas this morning... The birth of Jesus stands as a reminder that God is not done with this world yet. Because when he is, and it's all said and done, the government will be upon Jesus' shoulder. He will rule over all, and he'll rule with righteousness. So as your mind thinks about this baby Jesus, especially as we go into this final week before Christmas, and we have the awesome opportunity to gather on what we recognize as Christmas next week, but... When you look at that little baby, look at hope. Or think of hope. And think of God's faithfulness. 
Because over a span of some 4,000 years, God had promised that somebody would come. That I'm going to send a redeemer. And then as we read about his birth in Matthew and Luke, what a testimony to the faithfulness of God. And it all happened exactly as God said it would. It's an amazing thing. You and I can praise God for the child that was born and the son that was given. We also learn through the New Testament that part of this kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. That you and I can be a part of this kingdom by faith. And you do that by putting your faith in Him, that He is exactly who God said He is. That He's your Redeemer. That He's your Savior. So Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 stands as a reminder that even in our darkest days, God gives us hope. I'm going to ask you, if you will, this morning to stand with me and our musicians could come around. And to say that, I'll lead into this. If you're here this morning and you're in your spiritually darkest days, and you know that things are not right in your life, you know that maybe God has made you very aware of the sin in your life, that you've never put your faith in Christ, and if you died right now, you are not united with Christ. Well, again, I remind you, God gives you hope in your darkest days, and your hope is Christ, that you can be clothed in His righteousness. Instead of rather being a part of the enemy that Christ will conquer one day fully and completely, you can be a part of His army. You can be a part of His kingdom. And ultimately, we can rejoice in the hope that He's given us. As Mark comes around and leads us, if God has dealt with your heart and you need to respond in this immediate context, I encourage you and invite you to do so. Mark, as you lead us. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.